Welcome to the Marketing Strategy Talks podcast, where we interview some of the best marketers from around the world and uncover their strategies for rapid growth. I'm your host and founder of MarketingStrategy.com, Ian Luck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Marketing Strategy Talk. And today, I have the pleasure of talking with one of my good buddies, Lou Samaglia. Lou is the Senior Content Strategist at Liberty Mutual and a recent HubSpot Inbound 2020 speaker. In this talk, we dive into how effective content strategy and a superior user experience can be a key driver in customer retention. Because at the end of the day, as Lou puts it, brand loyalty isn't earned by accident. It's the result of sustained and deliberate efforts to communicate with customers over a long period of time. The talk is fascinating and I can't wait for you all to hear it. Don't forget to visit us at marketingstrategy.com and like us on LinkedIn. Without further ado, let's dive on in. Hey Lou, uh, thank you so much for joining on the uh, another Marketing Strategy Talk. Ian, thanks for having me. This is great. Looking forward to it. Of course, man. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Lou and I go way back, actually. We worked together. We were previous colleagues at a company that uh, most likely shall not be named. Um, and it was honestly one hell of an experience for both of us. So I kind of want to like intro with that, if that's cool with you. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this is a story that needs to be told. <laughs> so, all right. Um, I still remember starting, we started about the same time, right? I was a retention marketing manager. Lou, you got hired to run social media for this company. It was a startup out of Boston pretty well known at the time. Um, so the first thing you and I both did, I mean, obviously I cared about what the customers were saying. You cared about what the customers were saying on social media. And I think at like week three, something along those lines, um, <laughs> I was like, hey, Lou, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Like I'm hearing a ton of customers on these calls, just like screaming their heads off, just angry as hell about, you know, whatever we did. Um, but I just kept hearing recording after recording of these angry customers. And I think I went to you and I was like, Oh, man, are you hearing the same thing? And you kind of just broke down. You're like, Oh, my God, finally, I thought I was the only one that was like, seeing this going on. Oh, my God. Yeah, seriously, after after a few weeks, like for what it's worth, I think that was my first real job out of college at the time, I was maybe 23. So you're kind of rolling with it. And you were listening to the calls, I was reading the social media posts. So people were even uh, less edited in those instances. So they were really letting us have it but to sort of have that moment of clarity like uh, this cannot be this cannot be a normal job for anybody so you you were the right life raft at the right time and we we soon realized it wasn't a normal job and I'll, i remember it clear as day obviously as, as you tend to do with these types of things um they brought us in one by one with our manager let us go and then i think you and i met up at a bar we boozed up and uh, went and got cheeseburgers at five guys it was uh yeah you know, it's kind of what you do when you uh, have to face reality in certain scenarios like that. But it was a hell of experience. And um, I, I just I remember learning that, you know, from here on out, I'm going to make better choices about who I decide to give my life to as far as my employer is concerned. Um, and I definitely ask about the customer base from here on out. And the customer experience is like a huge thing for me now, which I'm literally in the customer experience field. You're at Liberty Mutual as, as the um, senior content strategist. Um, yep. You've made uh, a couple other moves we'll get into. But yeah, what was the biggest lessons for you out of that whole experience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there were a million that, that come from it. And it kind of, it shakes you. You, know, you, you never fully anticipate what it's going to be like when, when you're separated from a job in that way. Mm -hmm. But I, I think 
you know, two things really jumped out. One, and, and probably what I've taken the, the most from that experience is you have to learn how to not to take yourself seriously, but how to take the work seriously. Yeah. And I think you hinted at that, but finding a way to really think critically about the larger sort of narrative you want to shape about your career right. arc. And yes. it's one thing to have a, an interesting, uh, you know, an interesting sort of corporate structure or, or startup that you think is going to rocket to the moon and, and you have all these different ideas or illusions about what that can do for your career. But ultimately, I think we, we netted out in a similar place where customer experience or user experience ends up being sort of the end all be all. Yep. Um, so, so really being able to dig under the hood and know the right questions to ask about what you're going to be contributing to from here on out. Um, that, that job, at least for myself, invaluable experience that I sort of, I grew exponentially, even just in those eight months, um, from culminating with probably 1030 AM cheeseburgers or whatever that day ended up being for us. Uh, but it, it is as ridiculous an experience as it was, um, it wouldn't, don't regret it, wouldn't give it up because you just, there's only one way to learn that stuff. And it's really yeah. just taking your lumps and, and figuring it out. And I, and I bring this up now because I think with the current state, there are a good amount of marketers out there that are out of work. And um, this sounds like a, a harrowing, terrible experience, but honestly, I'm in the exact same boat as you are. Like, I wouldn't trade it for the world. This literally put me on my trajectory to focus on what's important, and I'm deliberate. I think that's the word that I use is like, I am very deliberate about everything I do in my career now. And it's not necessarily tied to the company. It's like, this is what I'm trying to get out of my next move. Um, and it's, you know, the company helps if they have a great culture, if they care about their customers. I mean, the company is important, but you got to start it, start from a you first position, I think. And that's, that's something that's tough to say for a lot of people. But um, when it comes to your career, that's almost like the only thing you can do is, is really think about how this affects you, how it affects your family, how it affects your mental health. I mean, I had some stressful days at that company, man. I know you did because I was sitting right next to you. Um, that was tough. Imagine, yeah customer experiences uh, at a company where almost everybody seems like, you know, they're, they're losing their minds over something we did wrong or whatever it was. Um, yeah. There's a reason we spent $45,000 on burrito bowls. I think during our eight months there was, <laughs> we did, we had to find a way out. And the only way was through Mexican yeah. food, I think. Oh my God. We ate our feelings, of course. But all right. Sure so but, yeah, that was, and I just wanted to bring that up. And I know that's a kind of a heavy topic to start with. And, and I know we have some really cool things to talk about today. Um, but I, I really wanted to bring that to the forefront because I think it's important for people to hear that, you know, not everything is, you know, bad. I think even when it seems bad, it's like you're in your darkest place. There can be hope. Like there's great things that come out of this type of stuff every now and then. Um, and you and I are living proof of that. So I just wanted to lead with that. So pretty exciting things for you, man. So you're officially an inbound HubSpot speaker this year at 2020. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. So walk us through, like, how did you get that speaking slot and what will you be, uh, talking to us about at inbound this year? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. It's, it's such an incredible event. Uh, they do such a good job and I think it's sort of really shown through this year having to adjust on the yeah. fly and they're doing everything hundred percent remote, uh, obviously as, as most places are, uh, but I'll be talking about content strategy for retention, customer retention. Uh, so it's something that I'm extremely passionate about and that sort of informs all the work that I do uh, at Liberty Mutual and, and some of the uh, different work streams and, and customer journeys that I'm affiliated with. So I have been living in that space for about three years now. 
And it made sense to try and package this up with you know, whatever I've learned working with a number of uh, UX designers, product designers, uh, sort of product managers, people who are really in depth in the weeds with the sort of insurance product that we're dealing with, mm -hmm. different developers, software developers. So there are so many different really experts on all of this stuff. And we've been digging in to such a complicated product for so long now. It's, there's, there's a story to tell. Uh, and I'm really trying to focus the talk on that and trying to break it out into some different actionable uh, strategies that we've learned over the past couple of years and, and talk about some of the mistakes we've made. Uh, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to that. And it, it's sort of been the, the culmination of a couple of years of realizing for myself that I, I do have a sort of a secondary passion for getting up on stage and speaking uh, in front of people. It, it's yeah. kind of, at least for me, it, it's, it's kind of like skydiving where <laughs> I, I don't think I am inclined to be, you know, strong in that area. And I had a crippling stage fight, fright growing up. It just was not, not my strong suit, not at all. I avoid it like the plague, you know, sort of at all costs. Yeah. And I had to give, um, a presentation at a work event a couple of years ago and I basically had 10 minutes in front of this big room and uh, it went really well sort of talking about what content strategy was and I had a couple of people sort of approach me after and, and say you know there's something here I think you should try and break out of your comfort zone a little bit try and put something a little bit longer mm. together and I was accepted to uh, UXPA which is a local conference last year and, yeah. and sort of stuck my neck out and, and it uh, went pretty well, got accepted to that. Um, and then, you know, you start to get a little confidence. And then I, I went out to Seattle Interactive and, and spoke there. So this year, I potentially uh, <laughs> skipped some steps, but I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to do what I can and, and try and reach out to Inbound. And they were gracious enough to accept <laughs> what I what I put in front of them. So I'm I'm incredibly enthusiastic about that conference. And I think it's such a sort of a discerning intelligent crowd that goes there. So I'm, I'm mm. looking forward to, uh, there's an extended sort of Q and A remote portion this year that right. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you know, some of the attendees and what really how everyone else has sort of shifted their work over the past you know, six months, however long we've been in yeah. lockdown. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, and it's sort of been a buildup basically to get to, to get to this point, but it, you know, it feels like the big leagues for sure. And that's such a cool topic, man. I have to really commend you. So user experience content strategy. And um, so again, you're senior content strategist at Liberty Mutual. So walk me through like, what does user experience content strategy actually mean um, to, to sure. Liberty? Like, what have you guys done? Get tactical, right? So like, give me some examples of how you guys have leveraged this at Liberty. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So content strategy, uh, particularly for, for the user experience field. It's, it's really breaking down sort of the creation, the organization, the deployment, there's really just the strategic laying out of any form of content that would be in front of a customer. Mm -hmm. So it, it can go in so many different ways. And I think the easiest way to really draw a line is to think about how, how we structure sort of our digital work in and of itself. So I specifically in my teams uh, that I work with, we are on the Sort of the authenticated logged in customer experience. Sure. So it feels like really classic sort of UX where we have uh, different flows, setups where we need a customer or we want to get a customer 
to go from point A to point B. And what's mm -hmm. the easiest way we can do that? So there's just so much testing and different sort of concepts that we have to create, different designs and go back to the drawing board and work with our developers and really be lean and agile in every sort of way that we're doing it. Mm -hmm. So it's, and I, I sort of have always thought about that as I guess the most classic sort of application of, of UX work. But on the, the other side of it, for example, for some of uh, my counterparts who work more on sort of the public facing properties that Liberty Mutual has, it'd be more SEO or sort of classic copywriting. So there are different levers that a, a content strategist would have to pull uh, potentially. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really, really interesting, but we've been fortunate on the, on the logged in side of the house to modernize a lot of the sort of technical uh, infrastructure that we inherited when, when we really tried to spin up in earnest this digital effort a few years ago. And we've been able to modernize you know, some, some of the nuts and bolts stuff. If someone were to log in, say I need to make a change to my policy or look at a document or, or whatever you would associate with your say your auto insurance policy mm -hmm. um so we, we've been able to get the basics right and we're working hard to think about how do you sort of tear all that down and then start over with if you could completely rethink this if you could reimagine this in a way that just makes sense to a customer um and I, i'm sure we'll sort of keep spinning on this point but i think the most interesting sort of line of work right now is taking just a, a legacy industry or a really complicated subject matter and trying to break it down and give a regular customer, someone with a busy life and give them the confidence to manage that property themselves, insurance, finance, taxes, you know, whatever it is. I feel like that's such a great place to be right now. Yeah. And it, and it brings me to like almost, um, and I hate to use this as an example, but uh, Elon Musk, right? So like he, <laughs> he approaches everything from a first principle standpoint. I've talked about this a little bit in the podcast previously, but it's literally forget everything you know about how to do something and start from the very beginning and act like you don't know anything about the subject and learn as you go and apply these first principles to creating something new. And it's kind of exactly what you're saying is like, don't assume you know anything, start from the very ground up and build it around the user experience. And I think that's, that's pretty it's pretty provocative, man. I mean, not a lot of companies the size of Liberty Mutual would do something like that. And I, I think that's really a testament to their commitment to innovation. I mean, that's, that's tough for a lot of SaaS companies to do, man. I mean, start from the ground up. So walk me yeah. through how you were able to convince the business to do that, if that was even a thing, or like, how did that even come about? Yeah, so and a few years ago, and, and some of it sort of predates when myself and, and some of my teammates came on board, but it, it, it's one of those things that I'm sure every industry can sort of relate where it just becomes glaringly apparent that there are digital shortcomings uh, and, and the world starts to pass you by and, and you start seeing these disruptors in different spaces who are just, like you were saying, just start, uh, start from zero, assume nothing and really try and re reimagine the experience. Mm. Uh, and I think Liberty, like so many other companies said, you know, we, we need to make a change where we're dealing with just a different model, a different sort of digital presence that, you know, it, it's getting us through today, but five years from now, 10 years from now, mm. it, it wouldn't, not only would it not work, it would be sort of 
laughably outdated, right? There, there's, <laughs> there's such a, a fine line to walk and, and you have to understand sort of where, where customer expectations are and you have to make a concerted effort to sort of skating where the puck is going to be. And, you know, to, to Liberty's credit, they jumped in with both feet, empowered us on the digital side to make some serious changes, take uh, a heavily regulated industry, really complicated information and yeah. try and package it up, test it, uh, either AB sort of in-market testing or, or uh, just a, a ton of sort of pre-market usability testing and customer interviews. So we, we had to put a lot of our uh, assumptions and, and egos down and just say we, we need to be sort of uh, re-educated on how our customers are actually dealing you know, sort of with this information and with the company overall. I mean, that's such a crazy exercise from a business standpoint. So again, I really want to commend Liberty for, for taking, recognizing the problem. It's like, uh, again, dominoes, maybe like this the commercial or yeah. the ad they ran a couple, what was it 10 years ago now, probably where they, so our pizza is terrible. Feedback, our bad. Yeah, exactly. And the, the pizza was terrible <laughs> and they adjusted it to, uh, to better align with customer expectations. And that was like one of the most successful ad campaigns for them. And actually probably in history, if you look at the numbers, um, yeah. it recovered the Domino's business and actually just grew a ton of growth from that specific type of approach. Not to say that Liberty was the Domino's of insurance, but <laughs> um, there's, there's something to be said about a business realizing that you can, you can improve something. So again, I think what I really want to grill you on is like, you don't just do this because it will look better or create a better experience. The end goal is something bigger, right? It's retention gains right. for the user base. Right. So how did you guys go about measuring that? And what did you put in place to kind of, kind of what you were talking about? Like, how do you actually know it's working? Yeah, for, for sure. So it's, it's funny for as, uh, for as abstract and, and convoluted as something like insurance can be for so many customers, uh, working with sort of the structures of what an insurance policy is actually yeah. makes retention a, a pretty straightforward conversation, at least in terms of how we measure it. So sure. it's each policy lasts 365 days for the most part. So painting with, with a broad brush here, but for the most part, uh, I would say historically, and this probably isn't just unique to Liberty by any stretch of the imagination, but the customers have really one day a year where they're going to say, oh, that's right. I've been paying for my insurance policy. It's been 12 months. Um, you know, what, what happened? What, what did, I, did I have to use it in the past year? Was anything confusing? Did I log in at all? Uh, are, are there cheaper options out there? So it's becoming increasingly commoditized, basically, where it's just like, oh, I'll just see what else is out there. Yeah. So I think for a long time, renewal was just, are, are we going to flip the switch on day 365 and get them to buy in for another year? Uh, or are, are we going to sort of stop on that idea and make it more about retention? And I think that's where the UX sort of uh, movement really has taken a foothold where you know, we kind of think of it as uh, branding or sort of the larger corporate message is the promise and mm -hmm. UX is the execution of, right. of that promise of right. what we're actually saying we're going to do. So we have a, a much larger scope now of all these different moments throughout the course of any 12 month policy term where we want to do in a couple of different things we want to educate you know, specifically on what they're capable of doing so we can deploy uh, different sort of informational nuggets at the right time 
to say, hey, did you know you can do this? Or, or you're going on vacation soon, you might want this coverage for your rental car or, or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. But trying to get a little more intelligent with how can we meet the customer where we think they're going to need to be and, and try and give them something helpful and be more consultative and not just uh, it's renewal day again, like uh, fingers crossed that you were satisfied with whatever we did last year. Um, so finding those little moments or trying to find ways to really advocate on behalf of the customer. And I, I think this is sort of the new frontier for, for content strategy is, as I'm trying to think about it now, where for a complicated industry, how, how do you know what's right? How do you mm. know what you're supposed to do? Right. And I think it's sort of incumbent on user experience professionals to know that right moment of it, what's a nudge, what's, what's a polite nudge look like, or what does sort of the most altruistic version of advice from, you know, sort of corporation to customer look like, uh, where you really want to be responsible in, in what you're recommending. So that's, it's a never ending sort of alchemy we're trying to balance right there. Uh, but it's, it's so challenging and, and there's so much depth to that work. And so much comes from customer interviews where right. we would never ever have all these answers on our own. So knowing what a real customer problem looks like or knowing what time constraints look like, or if you have two kids and, and two working parents, and there's so many different variables that go into, you know, what does the correct amount of outreach uh, that isn't necessarily just a marketing message, but some sort of proactive, hey, we got your back. We're, we're thinking about you. Um, that, I think, is really where the secret sauce is. And, and we're spending a lot of time in, in research right now into figuring out what that can continue to look like over the next, you know, one to five years. And I think that's a, a thing that marketers across the board struggle with, most likely, is um, how much is too much, you know, what are the touches that we should be reaching out specifically customer marketers, I think. Um, so guys like yourself that are trying to figure out the right content mix, trying to hit them up at the right point in their journey. Um, I can speak from this cause I used to be a customer marketer for five, six years. Um, you make decisions, right? And then you test those decisions, but I think it's, it's tough to really um, formulate some sort of a large scale holistic testing mechanism that can say this overall strategy is better than this overall strategy. So how do you guys, that may be a, a kind of a weird question, but like, are you guys doing micro tests to figure out, all right, this individual touch point is the right thing to do here? Or are you guys testing like large scale experiences versus large scale experiences? Yeah, it's, and it's a great question. And it's, it's a mix of both. I, I think we're getting better at figuring out where in a life cycle, we need to be really clear on what those sort of micro touch points are where we would potentially be falling down or, or missing the mark. And I think the little things inform the big things. So getting a better feel for very specifically what we want to learn, if it's they right in the middle of uh, a policy life cycle, and we let's say we have data that more accidents happen over the summer or uh, sort of making that up. But if we knew, uh, and they, they very well may, but if we knew exactly sort of what some of those smaller inflection points are where we know a customer is going to need a helping hand, yeah. I think we invest our, our testing and our research in those moments hmm. um, because that's sort of the, the nature of the beast where it's harder to say, we're going to do a full facelift on the entirety of uh, you know, a 
sort of a, a login experience or sure. a retention strategy or whatever. And it, I think we're, we've gotten comfortable in the idea of having to work in smaller slivers yep. and sort of identifying those, those moments with the ultimate goal of saying, all right, what's the right mix? What's the right recipe of these smaller points? What's the right information look like at the right time? And then we can start saying, all right, now a, a retention strategy for this profile of customer is starting to sharpen into focus. Yeah, it makes a little sense. And I think that's good advice too. I mean, um, start small, test something and figure out what works best for that specific touch point and kind of start to grow outward. I think that's a really good way to look at it. All right, so halftime, you ready for this? Let's, let's do it. So you're uh, a big Bruce Springsteen guy. Um, <laughs> I am. What's, your, I what's am. your top Bruce Springsteen moment, would you say? Oh man, top Springsteen moment. Um, so first of all, great question, Ian. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, <laughs> I think it, it pretty clear for me. So 2012, uh, Bruce was playing at Fenway Park and I was going to, we were, we were kind of looking up tickets, but at the same time, we're like, whether well, it was the day of like, no way. Yeah. I just graduated college. Like we're not going to get tickets, whatever. So, <laughs> so uh, there was a tribute band playing across the street. I think house of blues or Lansdowne pub okay. or whatever from the park. And my buddy's like, did you even look for tickets? Like, did you look for actual Bruce Springsteen tickets? Uh, I was like, no, what's the point? He's not going to be available. So he's like, I found like $100 field seats, like where we'll be right in front of him. So I was like, all right, we could do that instead of the tribute band, I guess, if you wanted. And uh, <laughs> so we went there and it just like obviously blew my mind. It was like a religious experience. Just like that night in Fenway Park and left field, like completely changed my life. Played yeah, every song you'd want to hear the whole thing. Uh, so that was, that was number one. And we've seen him a bunch of times since then, but it's there's nothing like the first time. So for everyone who's, who's been to a, a Springsteen show and that first one that comes out of unexpected circumstances, it's, it's just kind of, it's a cut above. Been to a lot of shows, but that one, that one's number one. I think everybody has that one concert that just sticks in their mind as like that transformative experience. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Um, have you seen the Netflix thing yet? The Broadway? Bruce and Broadway? I, ha- I have. So matter of fact, uh, went to the actual Broadway show. Wow. Uh, with, uh, yeah, with my say, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing very well, <laughs> doing very well. Um, the Broadway type. Um, so my, my buddy who I ended up doing the, the Fenway show with actually, yeah. he won some sort of lottery to basically get the chance to go to oh one of those God. shows. So we, we went, it was like 130 degrees that day in Manhattan, but we waited outside, you know, trying to get the pictures of him, the whole thing. And we went and it was just incredible how someone could do basically a two and a half hour one man show every night five nights a week for like 15 straight months is absolute blasphemy i have no idea how he pulled that off i think that's the most impressive thing like just the stamina it takes to do that crazy Uh, i mean i don't know if there's any musicians listening but i i used to play in a band i dabbled a little bit and i used to do like 45 minutes to an hour shows and I would like leave the stage and just sleep for three days because it was so exhausting. So <laughs> the fact that he's up there doing it five nights a week for that many hours, I, you're 100% right. It's just crazy. Yeah, I feel like you're being very modest. You used to go down up for 60 minutes, burn the place down. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, they, they get you when they got you again. So you're, yeah, of course, of course. you're pretty, pretty accomplished, if I recall. They have to wait. They have to wait. That's yeah. right. <laughs> get in line, people. Settle down. All right. So let's get back to it. Ready? Yep. Um, all right. So like what can companies like what, what are some companies doing? So in this talk, you talk about specific like examples and interviews you've done that kind of support this 
UX strategy to increase retention. Give us like maybe one or two examples of um, some companies that are doing it right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, even if you're not familiar with sort of user experience or it's not your sort of main function uh, in your work, I think it's so easy to, to assume what companies are good at UX. So it's uh, like the TurboTaxes or uh, Robinhood, if you or any sort of micro investors yeah. out there. But oh, basically yeah. anyone who takes an extremely complicated subject that once required sort of a middleman and you know, either an agency or, or some sort of trust to figure mm -hmm. out how to operate. All of these different apps, I, I think are sort of the best example. Um, so I just right now, because I'm fascinated with how it works, I think Robinhood is such a great example. Mm -hmm. I had zero, zero sort of financial literacy. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just decided to, to poke around on this app to see how do they, how do they get people like me, presumably their, their target audience of, of sort of stay at home, you know, <laughs> lazy weekend investors to figure out how to get comfortable with their own money being thrown right. around. And they do such a good job of breaking down sort of complicated terms, what the risk of any given transaction would be, hmm. uh, finding right times to put in sort of expert analysis or you know, if there's a recent news story about a company or how it's been impacted by COVID, whatever the case is, they do a really good job of, of threading that in really seamlessly, mm. which is so critical because you don't necessarily know what questions you need to ask. Uh, you just don't know what you don't know. So any, any of those types of organizations that are answering those questions proactively, I feel like are the, are the most successful. Um, so Robinhood definitely jumps out. Chewy is another one. They do it's sort of a, a different, a different style. I, I think of UX and content strategy, where it's not necessarily a complicated product, uh, doing sort of pet supplies and pet food sure. and things yeah. you can get mailed right to your house. But they are so thoughtful in the way they orchestrate their customer interactions. So I, I think I always end up telling this story. But my mother has two cats. They are 18 years old, and they have a litany of health issues. Everything you could have, they're like diabetic and arthritic and they have all these right. things. There are ramps built all over the house so they can get up the stairs. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, but for arthritic cats in that house. But they, <laughs> they get sort of personalized messaging from Chewy and when coronavirus first hit, basically they reached out, they emailed uh, my mom and said, Hey, there's going, there might be some supply chain disruptions as a result of these new wow. uh, sort of guidelines and, and health, uh, sort of, the, you know, the pandemic and everything else. So by proactively going out of their way to say, you should probably think about making your regular monthly transaction at this time yeah. made such a huge difference. And I was talking to her about it a couple of weeks ago and I was like, have you ever thought of looking at Amazon or anything else that I'm sure you can get these items, these you know, bags of food or whatever for a more competitive price and she's like honestly i've never i've never thought to look like chewy knows who the cats are like it's just <laughs> it's sort of that idea of something being personalized goes such a long way it's it's kind of like who gets sued more bad doctors or rude doctors like it's always yeah. rude doctors because people assume if you are willing to spend a little more time with them even if you do make a mistake they're going to assume some sort of personal connection and, and assume better intentions mm. uh, so i think chewy is is just a great example of sort of thoughtful, proactive 
communication that just makes customer life just a little bit easier. They know the cats. They know the cats. Yeah, they're on a yeah, <laughs> their first name basis. I always find out when they send Cubby a Christmas card. It's a big deal and back at home. So it's so it's a whole to do. They send Christmas cards. They do Christmas oh cards Lord. or birthday cards. Yeah, it's all personalized. It's so above and beyond. It's crazy. Uh, which and it makes total sense. I mean, sort of the the bully on the block is is Amazon. It's probably always going to be from here on out. And there's such a short. Not, not to stick with the, the pet analogies, but there is such a short leash uh, sort of for errors that can be made. Um, I, I think it's about, it's between 40 and 50% basically of any e-commerce transactions where if something is unsatisfactory, you know, how quickly a customer will just make the jump to Amazon or be willing to shop around or leave the current e-commerce provider that they're, they're on. Yeah. So it's yeah. sort of that always impending cloud of you know amazon's coming for you so you have I, I really think there's no choice but to be a little bit more thoughtful in how you know we're reaching out to customers yeah you nailed it i think uh there are spots for companies like chewy that can go above and beyond i completely agree because you're not going to win on ease you're really not anymore amazon has right. eased down completely exactly um, and so you really have to go personalized you have to go experience is really where it's at that's the new battleground for a lot of these companies it's experience for sure um, yep. yeah, I love those examples. Thank you for that. Robinhood too yeah. is uh, really cool because that, that's a, a topic that, I mean, is a black hole for a lot of people, like you said. And so if they're adding little snippets of why, like helping you understand why behind it, as right. opposed to just invest and we make money. I mean, that's a, that's a cool thing too. I mean, that's, that's really interesting. They've, they've made a lot of news because they're such a good company at um, helping you do those micro investment transactions, things like that, where... Um, a lot of other companies have jumped on that bandwagon, but I think they were kind of like the first company to really do it properly. And um, it's good to hear they have a good UX. I've never actually joined up, but um, yeah, it makes total sense why they would give that little context or like tie in the news to your investment transaction. I mean, that makes total right. sense. Right. So, all right, content strategy. So that's not a role you see every day. Um, what would you kind of, if you have like a VP listening to this thing, um, and they're looking, they're building out their marketing team. When should they bring on a content strategist and kind of what would you give them for responsibilities? Obviously the, we've talked about a bunch of different things that cover the entire life cycle, right? So what would you have them focus on right away and kind of what would you give as advice for that VP looking to hire a content strategist? Yeah, it's, it's a great question and sort of full transparency. It wasn't something that I was you know, it wasn't a role I'd been angling towards for my whole career. I think it was I've seen sort of the advent of user experience. And as things start to mature, these roles open up and you start to realize where you can slot in yeah. uh, to these different sort of skill sets. I would say, I would say a couple of things as early as possible to get a content strategist on board. I think a, an oversight that a lot of companies will make when they're spinning up a, a UX department or a digital department that you just need designers and then sort of product managers. Right. And there's, I think there's a, a fundamental gap there um, where e even if those two things are hired, maybe the next hire could be a copywriter or sort of outsourced copywriting. Uh, and that I think leaves a lot of really interesting thinking sort of on the table where if you have, if you're, you're hiring, you're building out this role, I think what a content strategist should at least strive to do is A, bringing sort of the content and writing excellence to the table 
but being able to act really in between good design and then the sort of business uh, or you know, sort of KPIs and benchmarks. Mm-hmm. So really being able to translate between those two parties, I think is, I think is critically important. And a content strategist can do that by really going above and beyond to listen to the customer. Mm. And then it, it becomes a little bit more clear on how that customer feedback, how that customer information can start to inform as a truck backs up here into my oh, no worries. Um I, I think a content strategist can start to inform the, the architecture and the taxonomy and sort of the right combinations of data and information to start providing and acting as really a design partner with the designer themselves, but also being to relay to the business side of the house, hey, there are some considerations here we need to think about. Sort of in that constant negotiation, I think is where great products really start to start to come around. That's where they start to flesh out. Is when your you know, pressure you know, pressure makes a diamond, or, or whatever the whatever the case is. But yeah. I, I think working within the confines of uh, really all the restrictions that uh, a designer would want to sort of go as blue sky as possible, business will want to go as sort of lean and mean as possible. What can we get in front of customers that will return results as quickly as possible? So a, a good content strategist, and I by no means have, have mastered it, but it's something that I think is really critical to say, we're not just looking for a copywriter, but we're looking for an active sort of thought partner in the future of the product, in the future of the digital experience of the company. I think that is where uh, a content strategist should really look to set themselves apart. And I, I think uh, leadership, you know, a VP of marketing or a VP of digital uh, should be discerning in what they're looking for. Uh, because I do think it's, it's, there are a lot of different skill sets that have to be roped in uh, or at least part of some sort of learning and development roadmap uh, because it is such an uh, occasionally an underserved profession. Um, but it's, as it's starting to pick up steam, uh, finding that home between, really between the business, the customer, and sort of design excellence, I think right. that's where a content strategist should try to sit sort of at all times. And that's the main reason I wanted to bring you on this thing, man. Also because you're a good guy and I know you, but uh, that's, that's <laughs> such a, uh, it's such an important thing because I've seen it multiple different companies um, where, and I've rented about this in the past where literally marketers will hire the content person to write content and they're in this little silo and they're not listening to customers. They're not really that experienced in the business. They're not really focused on KPIs. They're just, their thing is like, I'm going to write content and it will be producing views and, it's just not the right thing to focus on. And number one, like these people are probably fresh out of college, don't necessarily know what they're doing um, as far as the business is concerned, don't really know how to operate with KPIs above their head. Um, and this is really where I feel like the content strategist role is really interesting for the VPs of marketing out there because it, you're right. It's a nice conduit from the customer feedback to design, to the business, managing those KPIs And that's something that's missing in a lot of companies is that you're producing content, but like, what's, why are you producing it? Does it, does it address any of the pains that your customers are experiencing? Does it drive any business results that the business is looking for? Does it fix any of the UX issues that the the designers, the product designers are looking for? Like you have to really take all of those considerations into uh, account when you're building out your content strategy. And I think that it's just such a super interesting area that, um, I feel like it's, it's pretty new, right? I mean, there's not a ton of you guys out there, 
um, content strategists as far as like UX is concerned. I think it's getting bigger and bigger, but um, it's interesting, man. I, thank you for coming on because I, I really do think that this is going to be a, a massive market for like a um, a really interesting niche within a marketing team. I think that like it makes total sense to to have this on your team if you're running a SaaS marketing department. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. Uh, it was first of all, it's just great to catch up. It's, it's yeah, been a while, but uh, yeah, I, I'm so fascinated, and I love ringing the bell for for content strategy because I, I think there's <laughs> there's there's somewhat of an underdog mentality here where it, it, you know, it's it's so easy to just say it, it is just copywriting or whatever the case is, but there's so much untapped potential yeah. and sort of just road ahead of what. Uh, a new member of a UX team can do what a new member of really just a marketing team at large can do. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful you had me on and uh, had a blast. Of course, man. So let's, uh, let's wrap up. So let's uh, talk about your favorite marketing book, blog, piece of content, person, brand, whatever it is. What's that one thing that as a marketer just grabbed you and really kind of changed your trajectory as a marketer? Yeah, it's a great question. So I've, I've agonized over this. So <laughs> there, there are a lot of different ways I, I was thinking of going, but two things jump out um, in terms of just strictly sort of marketing collateral. Mm -hmm. So one is really anything by Seth Godin because I, I was drawn to it immediately because it's not overly prescriptive. So he's sort of wrote the book on permission marketing and, and actually doing things a little bit differently and just there's more to good business than trying to find the lowest price point. Right. I, I thought that was always fascinating. And then one, just a, a plug because I'm enamored with it recently. Uh, TED Talk. Uh, it's called Don't Listen to Your Customers, Do This Instead. It's by Kristen Berman. She's a behavioral scientist. Highly recommend everyone check that out on YouTube. It's like 15 minutes long, mm. but basically talking about that idea of how do, you, how do you provide the best possible experience for a customer, even if they don't necessarily know what it is they're looking for. Mm. Um, so for UX, but I think for marketing in general, a really interesting perspective on how we can start thinking a little bit differently. Love that, man. Thanks for the tip. I'll check it out. Um, sounds right up my alley. So the last thing we'd like to end on here at Marketing Strategy is uh, just a quick word association. So sit back in your psychologist chair. I'm going to throw Love out a, a word or two and give me like your first thought that comes to mind. You ready for this? Sounds good. Yep. Content strategy. Up and coming. Retention. Good business. User experience. Non-negotiable. <laughs> Love that one. Facebook. I think my parents have it. <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm coming around. I'm getting better. Uh, Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band, 1978 at the Capitol Theater in Joy Z playing Prove It All Night. One in one A with the moon landing as humanity's greatest achievement. <laughs> there it is. I knew you'd say something like that. Uh, <laughs> check that on YouTube first before yeah. you check out the TED Talk. I know. Yeah. Go watch okay. that. That's like 28 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> it's black and white. It's recorded on a camcorder. I have to admit it is quite amazing. I feel like if nothing else at our time at that that first company, that was, uh, that was really my crusade after about a month and a half when I said, I'm not going to change things here, but I'm going to change this one guy's mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And did you ever. Uh, all right. So Liberty Mutual, last one. Doing things the right way. There you go. 
All right, so Lou, it's been a blast. Um, let's throw out some plugs. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Lou Samaglia, Liberty Mutual. And then uh, speaking at Inbound this year, uh, September 22nd. So check that out. They actually have some really great uh, pricing options this year. They, they want to cast as wide a net as possible. So they're really working hard to be inclusive and get some new, uh, new attendees to Inbound. I'm also speaking at uh, UXBA Boston, which will be remote this year. That'll be in October. They're still nailing down some dates. Uh, so I'm more, more to come on that, but looking forward to both. All right. So Lou Samaglia, UX for retention, September 22nd, you said? September 22nd. Yeah. 22nd. All right. Go check it out, everybody. Lou, thank you so much for joining up. It's been a blast and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Ian. Take care. Talk to you soon.